Welcome to the Westside Personalized Podcast, where real educators share their classroom-tested, learner-approved personalization practices. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion and are able to find a few valuable takeaways from the podcast. And so without further ado, let's go to the pod! All right, the Westside Personalized Podcast is coming to you live from Milwaukee, Wisconsin today before 8 a.m., so you're going to have to kind of forgive us if we're a little bit tired. We're still getting caffeinated here as we're getting our day started. Uh, but uh, we're at the ninth, right? National Convening on Personalized Learning? I think it's ninth. I'm pretty sure it's ninth. Yeah, and so we're getting an opportunity really over the course of a couple of days here to uh, attend a lot of different sessions on personalized learning, uh, talk with a lot of great educators uh, about our collective work uh, with this just kind of regionally, I feel like. This is sort of a Midwest conference, but uh, I know there's some teachers even in from Oregon and Pennsylvania and Kentucky that I've had a chance to like talk to over the last couple of days. Uh, and I'm super excited to visit with Andy <laughs> Espinosa. So, so welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And Andy, do you want to talk a little bit just kind of about um, your job, the kind of history and education, those kind of things? Sure. So uh, this is my 19th year teaching. My undergraduate degree was in um, special education with emphasis in learning disabilities. However, when I was in college for a little while, I thought I wanted to be a biology teacher. So I did a whole lot of coursework in the sciences. So I have a lot of biology classes and a ton of chemistry under my belt as well. I just never, uh, and then for a little while I thought I'd be duly licensed. And at that point my parents said, you know, you need to finish college at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Enough of this. You have your your special ed and now you've got all the science. What can you do with those, with, with the biology? So at that point it was a minor. I just never student taught, so I'm not licensed in okay. science. But uh, I graduated with, you know, bachelor's with of special ed with learning disabilities, and then a biology minor as well. Wow! So then I went on to get my master's degree in administration and ed leadership. I'm a nationally board certified teacher as well. So that's a little bit about my academic background. Awesome! <laughs> and you currently then teach. At. Yeah, I'm at Brookfield Central High School in Brookfield, Wisconsin, and I have been there my entire career. I'm kind of an anomaly in education that I <laughs> right. haven't moved around, and there's a lot of reasons for that, but uh, I am now the chairperson of the special ed department and have been co-teaching pretty much all of those 19 years. There was a two-year stint where I was part-time after my children were born, so I was just a, just a special ed teacher at that point, but now I'm pretty much in the regular classroom all day. That's awesome. And you co-teach with Mike Muhammad, I do. should say. Yeah. Um, and he's uh, also very like, steeped in his personal learning practices and been working with that model, I guess, for quite some time. And so talk a little bit maybe about how uh, you first got into like personalized learning as a special education teacher and, and maybe where that co-teaching started. Well, Mike and I have, uh, again, we're, we're a bit of an anomaly because we've been together for 10 years. You know, we've had the support of our administration to not break up our, our co-teaching relationship. And so we've co-taught a freshman science class that is no longer part of our curriculum or course offerings. You know, now I'm in physics. During the time, I did go and do some biology as well mm-hmm. <laughs> with some teachers. Kind of dabble. Yeah. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. And actually, this year, I'm, I'm just in physics for one semester. And then second semester, I'll be back in biology. But I really do like being in the sciences. And then mm-hmm. as for, you know, personalized learning, I think one thing that's really unique about Mike and I is that we've really been able to grow as educators together. And so when our district started the whole personalized learning initiatives five, six years ago, we were already together. We'd already figured out a way to really work together well. Mm -hmm. Uh, We know each other's strengths, each other's weaknesses, where we can lean on one another. 
oh, we can look across the classroom and we know what the other one's thinking, you know, because we've been together <laughs> yeah. so long. <laughs> and it's, so we've just truly grown together in it. Um, and that's really helped, I think, the classroom relationship because there's never the buy-in. We're, we're already there. Yeah. So what then, well, I guess I'll give a little backstory about how I have gotten a chance to know you guys too. I, two years ago, was here at the convening. And at that time, attended a couple of sessions. I spoke with Jim Rickaball and said, hey, who should I go like see in this next round of presentations? And he's like, you should go see Mike Muhammad. Mike Muhammad's presenting and go check it out. And I came into that session and sat down uh, and Mike very quickly turned everything over to the students and let them oh, leave yeah, the majority. Oh, yeah, the honeycomb, uh, the honeycomb kids presentation. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> I was there too. <laughs> so, okay. So I got a chance to, uh, I didn't meet him at the time, but really was impressed just about the thought of allowing students to kind of lead, which was great. I hadn't really seen that at a conference at that time, at least before. And just what they had advocated for and the way they kind of articulate what they appreciate mm-hmm. about personalized learning was really the power of the presentation. And so since then, or from that time, just following him on Twitter, and then uh, more recently getting a chance to know you, and because I think we would have first met up at SD this summer? Um, Spark. Spark, that's right. That's yep. right. This summer was kind of, uh, had a number of things going. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Just getting a chance to pick your brain a little bit about special education meets personalized learning, uh, because I know within our own district that personalized learning, at least as far as we've started to define it, at least, is kind of individualization plus some differentiation, mm-hmm. uh, and you can call it plus voice and choice, but really it's the student has to have a voice in the process, you know, needs to be the one making decisions. So that's where it, that part differs from differentiation. Sure. Uh, and a number of special education teachers that I've talked to who are phenomenal, do a great job, tend to say, well, I already personalize everything that I do already. <laughs> and what I believe they're expressing with that is that I already individualize everything. I think that the role of the special education teacher is to individualize, and they're phenomenal at it. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that we, I know I've spoken about, I guess, is where, where do you see sort of personalized practices stretching that individualization model into something that encompasses a little bit more? Well, I think as a special ed teacher, especially at the secondary level, if my students that I case manage, so I'm talking about just the kids with the IEPs um, separate from the classroom, if they cannot articulate who they are as a learner and they don't know their strengths and weaknesses and what works for them, we have done them a great disservice by the time that they've graduated. It all comes down to if by the time they're seniors, if they cannot tell me with confidence who they are, what they're good at, how they can capitalize on their strengths mm-hmm. and address their weaknesses, they are, they're not going to be very successful at post-secondary, whether they go to a, a technical school or a job training or a four-year school. So that's really where I think personalized learning for me is important as a special ed teacher. So all my students, not just the ones in the physics class, can identify those, those attributes about themselves. So what practices during your time working with them individually? Because I'm assuming a part of your day you, you do have the opportunity to sit down and try to get everybody caught up on what they're oh, doing yeah, and process their worlds. We, yeah, we, well, we try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Yep. I, I'm sure it's a very busy job. What practices do you feel like you maybe try to incorporate during that portion of your day to um, further kind of personalize sure. that, that oh, experience for them? Well, for me, it really starts the summer before their freshman year. Our model right now is we loop with our students for four years. So I case manage the same group of students for four years. 
And when we first meet as eighth graders, you know, I get to know them. I spend some time with them at the middle school if necessary because of anxiety or whatever. They come up to the high school for part of a day. But then during the summer, I for sure have everybody come in. And I usually meet with them one-on-one at that point. Sometimes the parents join us, sometimes they don't. What I have them do during our time, you know, other than go through the building and make sure they know where their locker is and how lunch works and, you know, all that. Sure, all the functional stuff that everyone needs to figure out. All the normal um, things that any incoming freshman would feel anxiety over we sit down and we, f- we do a learner profile okay and so, so yeah kind of speak to this where one of the questions that people often ask is like what goes into a learner profile yeah. how much information and what you kind of do with that so i'm excited that you bring that up <laughs> what's that look like for you in the evolution of that as you've supported students well it started off with a list of questions that i had created about how students interact with material and how they like to learn and how they like to express material or, you know what they've learned mm-hmm. And over the years, so I've been doing it for about five years now, Barbara Bray has created a checklist that I use as my model. And we ask questions of the students about how they feel about themselves and learning. And that really addresses the engagement piece of UDL. And, you know, students go through the checklist. And I do it sort of as an interview because it also allows me to get to know the student. Mm -hmm. And then we go on and we talk about how they process information and how so that that addresses the representation side of UDL. And then how they express their learning is the, the third piece. So then that looks at the expression piece of UDL. So I get all this information about the students, their strengths and their challenges in those areas. I also ask them about what sort of apps or websites or tools or study methods do you use when you're doing school? Mm-hmm. What helps you get through the day? That piece is it's kind of twofold. One, it helps me know if there's a, an app or something I'm not familiar with, I know that I have to get up to speed. Because <laughs> sure. every now and then they come uh, in with something, I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Let, can you show me? Can you teach me about that? That world is ever-changing, <laughs> yes. I feel like, with regards to what options are out there. Yep. And our middle school, there's some real tech-savvy teachers down there. Mm-hmm. So oftentimes they're um, sending us kids who have some great resources that we haven't even seen yet. So That's great. It, yeah, it's a great way to um, get some PD from our students. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, you know, I get all this information, and it it starts out really just as a checklist. And then uh, as the year gets started, about nine weeks in, uh, we revise it, or we go back. I'm like, all right, so this is what you said before you were in school. Mm -hmm. Has anything changed? And sometimes it does. Yeah. Uh, When it comes time to write their IEP, we take all the information on the checklist, and they uh, compile it however they want. uh, One student has done a sketch note as to who she is as a learner. More often than not, because they they don't, these freshmen don't quite understand what I'm doing, like where I'm going with all this, (laughs) we end up just putting in a chart that's easy to read. Mm -hmm. And that's fine too. So that's really the first draft. We But there's an ownership piece there. Exactly. That they actually yep. now, it's not just some data sheet that you, teacher, have that you're bringing to the meeting and responsible for and keep mm-hmm. all of my information on. It yep. becomes like a collective, collaborative, yeah. living kind of thing, right? Yeah. So uh, then when it comes time for the IEP meeting, my IEPs are all student-led. They come in, and after we talk about their post-secondary goals and kind of what they want to do, you know, what their goals are for for life, not just schooling after high school, uh, we go right into the learner profile and they present their learner profile and they can and I give them some choice. Again, the freshmen oftentimes don't quite know where I'm going with this because <laughs> sure. it is so open-ended. They just present the chart. Um, my seniors are starting to like hot link things into their learner profile. So okay. they'll bring up examples. And I love that because it shows parents 
this is what I prefer. This is what I, this is what I'm good at. And what makes and sense to an, me and yeah, yeah, how and, I organize my, my thoughts and learning. Yeah. That's so great. by the time a student gets through their learner profile, we've actually already addressed their strengths, their mm -hmm. weaknesses, and more often than not, all the supplementary aids and services that go into an IEP. And that's a good chunk of your meeting. You know, we just great. have to talk about goals at that point. Yeah, and those, how this, so those things work hand in hand. That's awesome. That's what was going to be my follow-up was to say, at what point do you sort of lean on that, or in what moments do you lean on that PLP and say, hey, you, this is what you've been tasked to do in math or English or physics, uh, and so how can we remember these things about who you are and how it applies to that? Is that just, those conversations come up? They do. So, uh, for example, when I'm supporting a student, well, not just physics, but any class, because mm -hmm. I still have to support the kids that are not in my co-taught classes, and personalized learning is not an option. It's an expectation. <laughs> so, that's, that's kind of where we're at, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they encounter a lot of choices every day in their education. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have good metacognitive skills, you're going to make some bad choices. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, and I would say, too, at least in a choice-rich school culture, even if they're making bad choices, as long as there's a reflective process in there, over time, right, you'll, it'll pay dividends mm -hmm. towards them becoming strong, autonomous learners because they'll fail forward and figure it out. Mm -hmm. uh, but the more support, it's like a PLP uh, or some other reflective thing or that adds an intentionality piece to those choices, I think really like helps to, to drive the student, help them navigate that a little bit more fluently. If they... They make good choices early on, they experience some success, and there's more buy-in mm -hmm. in the future, especially, uh, I don't see this so much anymore, but when we first moved to more personalized learning, some students were like, can't I just take a test, you know? Right. <laughs> you know, there was, there was always the, why do we have to do this? Can't you just mm -hmm. give me a test? We're the, the questions at the end of the chapter or the unit and give <laughs> right. me a test. You know, I don't see that so much anymore because these kids have grown up with it now, mm -hmm. but um, just making sure they... They know who they are as a learner and how they can demonstrate what they've learned. Yeah, and optimize their learning experience as a result yeah. of that knowledge. And I've started to see this become part of our, the conversations that I have for the podcast where students, as they move into more of a personalized learning opportunity, that instead of seeing school as a to-do list, all right, that I get this thing done and it's just a matter of completion and like you're saying, I'm going to take the test. Can I not just take the test and move on? And in that model, you are either fairly consistently successful or not, mm -hmm. where whenever you start to open things up with regards to choice, now all of a sudden multiple strategies become available to you and the opportunity to find the one that fits best to help you to be successful, to gain momentum, uh, and which increases engagement and all these other things that we're talking about, I think is a real win or a real take for the like personalized practices mm -hmm. uh, where you can get to that place. And so uh, I will say that, and I'll also say to kind of put a bow on, on this a little bit too, that I love that you bring them in as freshmen, so to kind of double back to that point here real sure. quick, uh, ahead of the school year and interview them, as you said, to fill this out together. Because as much as I'm sure that that piece is phenomenal for those conversations that you're having, what that does for getting to know your learner as a person and relationships, which I mm -hmm. think are at the core of, it doesn't matter what instructional practice you're trying to implement, <laughs> what pedagogical, whatever. That relationship piece has to be there. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so for you to just start with this conversation about I want to know not only you and your interests, but like 
what you know about yourself as, as a learner, and then we're going to seek out ways to even enhance that. And let's have that conversation from the day you walk in this place before you ever even set foot in a classroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I love that you advocate for that. And that's really, that's awesome. That's really encouraging. I, I get really excited just knowing <laughs> there's people like you out there fighting for this stuff um, for our students. And uh, I'm going to transition a little bit, uh, and we'll keep it pretty brief too, just in the interest of time. But I would say, so now can we talk to that co-teaching dynamic yeah. a little bit more as well? So when you put that hat on and you go in the class, how do you and Mike kind of function, I guess, in terms of, I've never watched you co-teach together, <laughs> and you know most people listening in would not have. So what would we see if we walked in your room? If you walked into a room, I don't know that you would be able to tell who the students are who have special education needs, Okay. first of all. Mm-hmm. They are mixed in with the rest of the students and are you know, where they choose their seats. It could call a seating chart, I suppose, but we're pretty flexible in where kids sit. We really want to have them to be fully included, not sitting in a corner. Like we're, they're in the room, but time. they're doing, yes. Yeah. And you know what? That does happen, but I also work with other kids too. Yes, awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to say that I never pull them aside because we do, I also deliver interventions like reading mm-hmm. intervention during that time. Sure. So there are times where I need to pull them aside and it's like, all right, we're going to read this article about um, the importance of, well, we just did um, airbags because we're talking about momentum and impulse and physics. Okay. And okay, like that's not a skill that my students with intellectual disabilities really need to be able to articulate. But why do we have airbags? That's something that they understand. They see the commercials. They, mm-hmm. they have background knowledge on that. So, you know, looking at more like a safety aspect. Um, so that'd be like one way that I do differentiate and address sure. the needs of a student on alternative curriculum in the class. But for all the students who just need accommodations in the class, we have scaffolded assessments, even within our assessment options. And we use tools like Doctopus to send out what version or what materials a student will need for their chosen project. Because they do pick their projects. And then we have different versions that we send out based on what I know they need. Okay. If that makes I'm, sense. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna tease out even further, I guess. Yeah. Can you talk about kind of what Doctopus is and then give me an example of maybe like a compare and contrast between two of those tiers, just to like understand what that might look like, I guess, as you start okay, to well, no, understanding there are probably more than two. <laughs> but Yeah, so Doctopus, well when I co teach with someone who is as immersed in all the Google fantastic things out there as Mike <laughs> Mohammed, I yeah. I'm enabled to not become an expert, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. What are we doing today? Perfect. Can you help me with that? Great. Yes. So um, I would say that I do have above average skills with, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the Google suite. But so Doctopus, as best I can explain it, is it's a Chrome extension, I believe. Okay. Or it's an add-on. Yeah, I one get of those. those words mixed up. I but, do too But uh, we, we load our students' emails in there, and then we can pick and choose. It automatically sends documents to the student in a folder that we own okay. in their drive. So if assignment or anything in that folder, we have edit rights to. Mm-hmm. So when they turn it in, there's never a problem with file sharing. That's great. Yeah. So that's like the big advantage because you, it's really frustrating when you go to grade something and you're like, great, I don't have rights. I can't see it. Yeah. And now I can't. Now I've got to wait till tomorrow and tell the students to change their mm-hmm. settings and everything. So Doctopus really allows us to differentiate and kids don't even realize, like everybody's getting something different. Mm-hmm. 
and they don't realize how different something might be. So an example, what it, like some big differences between some of the assignments, if we have a student with pretty significant math disability, it's more important to me that they can read and interpret a graph than do all the math to figure out the slope, for example, okay. of the graph. So we do have technology on our iPads, some apps that they can graph the information. The app actually graphs information if they're we're looking at like velocity specifically. Mm -hmm. It's super cool because it, it kind of takes the math out of it. But our more advanced kids are like, well, no, you guys need to understand the math behind sure. it. So they're actually calculating or doing all the calculations where a student with more significant math needs, like, no, we want you to really just hit the physics concepts here. Mm -hmm. And can you read and interpret the graph, not where the numbers came from? So we give them the numbers, or the computer program actually gives them the numbers, and then they annotate the graph rather than doing the math part. Does that make sense? Yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah, and that's so, something, and with the podcast, I always try to zoom out a little bit and talk with a kind of personalized lens through all that. And one of the things that we advocate for is technology integration to support personalized learning and the thought. And this is really where my mind tends to go often is to say that like technology, my lens on technology is that it is there to do kind of three things, to facilitate choices, which it sounds like Dr. Puss is doing that for mm -hmm. you guys. It's there for educators to be able to create additional choices. Um, and so what that sort of looks like, uh, I would say for you guys, potentially is th this program, this app where you can enter that information, it grabs it for you. Yeah. Uh, and then for students to also create and to demonstrate their understanding whatever way they want and mm -hmm. to have the choice to do that. Uh, and so I, I tend to always view things through that lens and it's awesome to kind of hear that that's really in practice, mm -hmm. you know what's going on uh, with your co-teaching. I think I need to back up one thing because I, now I'm like hearing or thinking about what I just said. I'm like, oh, that's more like individualization. That's not personalization. <laughs> but what the kids do when it comes time for assessment time or project time, we say, okay, here are your, here are your fences, mm -hmm. so to speak. And there's a lot of space in there. Yeah. What we'd like, you know, here are some different options. Now, if you've got a different idea, let us know. And we do have students who come up with something that we never even thought about on how to demonstrate their the learning targets for that unit. So our students will then make a choice at that point on, okay, I want to, like, they just, this week we had them, they're doing momentum, and we had some people code games that oh, really? demonstrate real life momentum wow. uh, so like that's one choice mm -hmm. they there was other there were other ones that designed their own experiment mm -hmm. um, kind of modeled after different things we had done in class but they had to design their own we had a lot of students a real popular option is to analyze youtube videos or or gifs oh yeah <laughs> and oftentimes they go find their own and explain why it's a good example of, you know, a certain type of collision. Mm -hmm. Sometimes... But some of those are funny. Oh, it's hilarious. Yes, it's hilarious. <laughs> they're, they're fun to look at. But then, you know, you also have some students with some pretty significant executive functioning deficits. And I'm going to get more out of them if I give them a choice of a couple of videos. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm going to narrow the ones out there. Otherwise, you're going to spend a week just trying, trying to find them. trying to figure them. it out, yeah. We do need to... We don't want to be here till June doing this. <laughs> right. So um, that's where, you know, they make a decision about how they want to d uh, demonstrate their knowledge back. And then that's kind of where I come in and like, okay, how are we going to make this good for you? Oh, that's great. That's, I would advocate for the same thing. I think sometimes people will say, are you, are we saying with this work that you should personalize 100% of the time? And I, I would say the answer to that is no. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, we don't advocate for that in our own district. We'd like to see people continue to grow in their practices and implement more and more and more and more. 
but only where they're comfortable and where the students are ready for that and where it's appropriate with the content and you know students prior knowledge etc and i like the idea i think of starting with some formatives that maybe are a little bit more traditional right or having a, having some individualization in mm -hmm. there which is what you're sort of talking about uh, and there's still some choices being made with regards to seating and other facets of the, the experience uh, but it doesn't always have to be choice of product for the formative round and I, as I've talked with more people as they're designing this out that they tend to open things up then when it gets to the summative piece like you're talking about and uh, if you're an educator listening in going I, I, I'm a little self-conscious and maybe I'm not personalizing this whole, I think that's fine I think that really the goal is to develop that sense of agency and everything that you mm -hmm. advocated for earlier on that, uh, that they understand that about themselves and that there's just space in each class at some point in time to start to be able to apply what they know is best towards their experience and stacking that one brick at a time, yeah. K-12, into a wall of, of agency. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's where I love things to go. So kind of in the interest of time, I guess, I would just kind of ask, is there any parting advice that you would give to someone <laughs> who is a special education teacher who would love to kind of get invested in this work? Uh, what should they maybe anticipate or what would you... Uh, what would you say, I guess, to them if they're maybe even apprehensive and on the fence about uh, trying to employ some of these practices into their own work? Uh, don't don't try to do everything all at once. You know, if you if you're interested in like w when I was talking about the learner profile and the student led IAPs, I have a caseload of about twelve to fifteen students, and they're multi age. Um, so I you know, and they're pretty well distributed. You know, a quarter of them are freshmen, sophomores, juniors, seniors. When I started that work with the learner profile and the student-led IEPs, I actually started with my younger ones, my freshmen, sophomores, because I'm like, well, I'm going to have them longer. Mm -hmm. And seniors that year, I just looked in the mirror, forgave myself, and moved on. You know, <laughs> yeah. it's like you, you can mm -hmm. only do so much because it did take the whole IEP writing process and, and the work that I do for each student did increase, like that amount of time. And you only have so much time. You have to take care of yourself too, because the work that we do is is good work, but it's hard. Yeah. And a stressed out teacher is not going to be effective. Starting small, mm -hmm. you know. And when Mike and I first started differentiating assignments in a classroom, we did start small. And this is the advantage to working with the same person for so long, because what you learn the first year you carry with you, and mm -hmm. every year we add more and more and more and more. Yeah. We have video modeling in our class. We have all these different choices. And I guarantee you next year when we do this, there will be even more choices for students. And there will be different, because your student needs change too. Right. And Well, just like you said earlier, because technology changes and there's different yeah. supports that are available and different resources that you can access. And absolutely. Yeah. And to close things, I would say that that's why I think this is really important as you start to systemically try to scale this up, that it doesn't become a matter of compliance and how quickly can we incorporate X number of personalized facets into things right away. Mm -hmm. uh, I do advocate that this is a journey for all educators and we have to be able to have the patience to allow people to start to implement this in their own context in a way that's unique to them and is almost personalized in their own growth with, mm -hmm. with all of it. Uh, but over enough time and iterations and with just this as a lens, even when we have uh, teachers come in for our PD experience, uh, we say that the goal of the session uh, really is to just shift your thinking uh, because that's that's what it takes in order to create I think meaningful change because it, the things that you're gonna standards are gonna change indicators are gonna change your students are gonna change 
but if you can see the, your role and the way in which you can provide choices and foster agency as a result of that in, in education, that's, that's a constant. Um, and there's tons of ways to do that now. As you said, it's ever-changing in the ways that you can offer those choices. But uh, I'm excited talking to you. Thank you so much for advocating for all of this uh, and for taking a little time to share your story with everybody today. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap on another great episode. For more information or to contact us directly, you can email our team at personalized.learning at westside66.net. As always, thanks for tuning in and learning from the Westside Personalized Podcast.